Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Heelan, the managing editor at the NBA page. And today, actually one of the, not only one of the contenders, but one of the more interesting teams heading into this season and into these, you know, down the line into the playoffs the Philadelphia 76ers, Noah Levick from NBC Sports Philadelphia is with us to break it all down and a team that, frankly, Noah, first off, Noah, just thanks for being here, man. Thanks for doing this. Oh, no, thanks for thanks so much for having me. And I do uh, agree that the Sixers are probably one of the more interesting teams. And I'm always appreciative of that. Uh, they always uh, give us plenty of fascinating material uh, here in Philly. Yeah, and it's a team that um, their off season was, I think, frankly, probably one of the best out there in terms of of how they approached it. Um, but actually, I was going to start somewhere else. This team will go as Joel Embiid goes to a certain degree. Uh, how much does not winning the MVP the last couple of years not him? Uh, he was pretty candid about that being painful. I think especially this year there's there was just a high level of feeling disrespected and and overlooked and like this reputation he had as being an injury prone guy who is rarely available and therefore you got to dock him points for that but that was still in many people's minds in an unfair way and I get where he's coming from. You look back at last season and the only extended stretch of games he missed was with a very serious case of COVID in November. He comes back from that, scores 42 points in a double OT game, the very first game, and has a terrific December as the East player of the month and keeps rolling from there. But look, he was against Nikola Jokic and... It's, uh, it's hard to convince many people that you're a superior player to someone that unique and that special. Uh, but Embiid, after the Sixers lost Game 5 in Miami, just really opened up about how he did put a lot of thought into it. And moving forward, he doesn't want to focus on it as much. He wants to just control what he can. And however the votes play out, they play out. But uh, it's definitely frustrated him, and he's shown some vulnerability, I think, for a star in admitting that it would have meant a lot to him to um, yeah. be named MVP, and he just 
doesn't have a lot of faith moving forward that even if he plays at an MVP level, he's going to be rewarded for that. So therefore his perspective is just do whatever I can to help the Sixers win games. And he understands that for this team, it's all about playoff success. Um, They have not been beyond the second round since the days of Allen Iverson and be the Sixers first scoring title winner since Iverson. uh, But he's still looking to actually win the Eastern conference and, um, really go far in the postseason, so that that is most definitely their priority heading into this year. Yeah, I would say as much as that. And by the way, just as a voter, last year was the toughest year I've I've ever had with MVP because there were three genuinely legitimate candidates. Like that, nobody separated themselves much, and it was it was tough. But I would imagine for him and and the Sixers organization, the Philadelphia organization, that. that the loss to Miami would not them even more than anything else. Like that, that one had to sting. Big time. And I think just the continued bad luck on Embiid's end is a major part of what makes that so deeply disappointing and regretful because there is inevitably that what if. And you wonder yeah. if the Sixers hadn't started the series in, in 02 hole whether things would have played out differently. But look, they did still have a chance to beat the Heat. They were quite competitive in that series, uh, despite Embiid's absence those first two games with the orbital fracture and concussion sidelining him. And the Sixers, after the Game 6 loss, were honest in that there was a toughness deficit, that... Miami was the team that responded better in difficult moments. They were the more physical team. And uh, you never want to be inferior in that department. And the Sixers, reflecting on that series, understood that they were. Uh, Rebounding was an issue all season. uh, And looking a little deeper at, at some of the team's problems, toughness was as well. So they've Sought to upgrade in those departments, as uh, I'm sure we'll get into. And one of the ways they yeah. did that was by adding um, Mr. Tucker from the Miami Heat. Yeah, I've, actually, that was what I was going to dive right into next, which was that the bringing in P.J. Tucker, bringing in Daniel House, and, and trading for DeAnthony Melton, those were, at least from the outset, and I think it's pretty obvious, that those were just direct responses to the Heat series, right? I think in many ways, yes. Um, Daryl Morey is, you know, chooses his words carefully publicly, and I think uh, he always frames it as we like to give ourselves as many options as possible and not overreact. So I, I asked him on the, the wee hours of draft night whether approaching free agency addressing specific weaknesses was his mindset. And he essentially said, no, the, just the goal is to build the best team possible. Now, I think it just so happens for the Sixers that, you know, building the best team possible corresponds quite nicely with uh, repairing the areas that were, were problems last year. So I think absolutely the moves they made on paper should improve the rebounding give them more two-way players, enhance the depth. Uh, With Melton in particular, 
allow them to create more turnovers, which I think is a, a big deal in an area they struggled with no Ben Simmons. And I, I think all that makes a lot of sense. So however yeah. you want to frame the logic of the moves, I think um, the Sixers, if they're going to lose this postseason, it's not going to be uh, for the same reasons they did last year. No, I, when you look at it with Melton, with uh, Tucker uh, and House, all three of them, but I think Tucker in particular, because he has proven himself on such big stages before, including last year, that what they gained was like you, you mentioned two way players. They just, if you, I love Matisse Thybul, And if you put him out there, you run an offensive deficit. If you put Shake Milton out, you run a defensive deficit. Daryl Morey intentionally went out and got guys, look, going to help them a lot through the first 82 games, through the regular season where they are going to be, I would expect, the East is so hard to predict, but top three, top four, right? Like they they should be home for the first round of the playoffs. I think provided the injury luck isn't bad, uh, that's reasonable enough. Uh, Yeah, I think, yeah, I think last year, I don't want to say they were, casual in their late season approach about seeding, but they didn't place a huge emphasis on let's eke out as many wins as we can and get the best matchup possible. And one of the major downsides of that ended up being uh, in in playing the Toronto Raptors, Matisse Thibel was ineligible for the road games because he's not uh, fully vaccinated. And that definitely wasn't good for Thibel. It wasn't good for the team's momentum and all of that. So this time around, I think, sure, it makes all the sense in the world to uh, do everything you can to to arrive at the postseason with Harden and Embiid and Maxi healthy. But this team should be capable of winning plenty of regular season games. And I, I think they should want to. I think they should uh, try to push for... You know, mid fifties wins. If that's, if that's at all on the table, uh, get that home court advantage and, um, try to try to position themselves as well as they can for the playoffs. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's going to be tough and then we can get into this a little bit, but I think the challenge is just that look, Miami without Tucker, you can ding them a little bit, but in the regular season, Miami's just always a tough out, right? Like Pep, Spolstra's teams play hard every night. He gets the most out of their guys. They play their system. They're going to win games. Boston's figured out who it is. Like they, they're going to be very good in the regular season. Milwaukee knows who it is, brings back continuity. And oh, by the way, brings back, uh, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the guy who's, with all due respect to Joel Embiid, Giannis is currently my, the best player walking the face of the earth. Like, Suddenly you're like, well, if Brooklyn puts it together and who knows what's going to happen with them, like, it's just, that is a really tough top five suddenly. And we haven't even gotten to Toronto. We haven't gotten to an improved Cleveland and and on down the line. So like, it is a really tough conference this year. And I think you were right. Injuries, does health is going to matter because even if you just lose somebody for a, a key player for three weeks or a month with a, a nasty ankle sprain, and they're going to come all the way back from that you're going to dip in the standings. Absolutely. I think the optimistic way for the Sixers to look at it is they've got a lot of good plan B's and plan C's relative to last year. So 
Yeah. You know, if, if one of the teams four or five best players do go down, don't think it's, you know, the worst thing in the world to have to lean more on a, on a Melton or a house. Um, but I think there's also a lot riding on PJ Tucker for better and for worse. I don't yeah. think we can just presume that a 37 year old player is going to be exactly who he's always been. Um, now to be fair, I think Tucker's night to night intensity and effort is legitimately contagious and extraordinarily high level and reliable. And fair enough. If the Sixers think that is going to lead to less clunkers in the regular season and just enable the team to be locked in more night after night. But if Tucker does have some health issues, if his overall level of play is diminished a bit, uh, that does hurt a lot for the Sixers um, because I, this is not like a, a 37-year-old player who yeah. is in sort of a ninth or 10th man role and it's all about the off-court intangibles and the veteran leadership. Uh, him on the court is going to be really important. Uh, the Sixers are absolutely counting on him to take and make a lot of catch-and-shoot threes to, I think, guard star perimeter players in many cases I think in some cases to provide significant backup center minutes and if he's not available and or not doing those things as well as he has in the past, uh, that hurts the team and the regular season aspirations and the notion of, you know, vaulting above the the Celtics and the Bucks and uh, becoming a true Eastern Conference elite team, uh, it just looks a lot less likely uh, if PJ Tucker is not who he's always been. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers. Which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi, it's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Is there going to be some load management with him a little bit in the sense of, hey, maybe we'll give him some nights off or try to keep the minutes reduced uh, in the regular season just because for all the reasons you just mentioned, his value come the playoffs is even higher? I would ex- I would expect so, yes. I mean, you look back at James Harden, and it, it was a tough balance. The Sixers tried to strike uh, with him – rehabbing his hamstring and returning yeah. but even Harden who 
is known for taking pride in his durability and always be avail- being available. I did have a few few load management days late in the regular season, um, and I think absolutely it, it would be sensible to sprinkle some of those in for Tucker as well. Uh, and I think just he's such a high effort, high energy player that you need to be cognizant of 27 minutes for him being different for, than 27 for the average guy. Uh, so I, I think the Sixers aren't going to decrease his minutes drastically to 20 per game or something along those lines, but I would expect uh, they will give him some nights off here and there, and he will begrudgingly accept uh, with the encouragement of Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers. We're almost 15 minutes into this. Maybe we should talk about James Harden a little bit. I hear he's pretty good. Uh, (laughs) I I guess, look, he is probably, I don't think the, I don't think the Sixers expect him to be, or frankly even need him to be Houston, right? Like the, the Houston version of himself, but they do need him. I guess that's the question. What do they expect of him? What do they need of him this season? Yeah, I think everyone everyone would agree with with what you just said. They're not expecting or requiring forty points per game. They've got the NBA's top scorer on the roster. Yeah, they've also got a guy who I think everyone expects to be at or around twenty points per game, and in, in Tyrese Maxey as well. I think it's just about consistency for Harden, uh, and I think for the most part, the Sixers are optimistic in considering some of his uneven, disappointing playoff performances to just be related to the hamstring and that not being 100%, uh, and they feel he's in a much better place on those fronts. But ultimately, uh, they expect him to be an elite point guard, and I think there's a lot of evidence that he still is that. Uh, they, They, I think, expect him to be super efficient and there's still a lot of evidence that he is that. So um, I, some of this question definitely hinges on Tyrese Maxey and can he make yet another you know, startling, incredible leap. Uh, but I think regardless with James Harden, the Sixers just really want uh, night after night him to be a fantastic playmaker who draws double teams, who makes the right plays, who draws a lot of free throws, and who is good enough defensively. Uh, and I think I think that's the vision. I think absolutely they would be thrilled if there are some fourth quarter scoring flurries, uh, but really the bottom line is they do not expect uh, that they're going to be banking on those this season. They think tossing the ball into Embiid in the post and letting him either draw fouls or make mid-range jumpers or show off his improved passing is a great option. And then there's just an immense level of belief in Tyrese Maxey and the notion that he's not that far from ascending to uh, an all-star level. How much are they going to lean into the Embiid Harden pick and roll? Because that's like, it was much discussed. That's not been Embiid's job with previous point guards. I think they'll continue to use it a bunch, and fair enough. I, I personally, in the early James Harden Sixers days, was impressed with J- 
Joel Embiid's ability as a roller, it just wasn't a good, viable option when Ben Simmons was your point guard or the guy you were running pick and roll with wasn't in James Harden's class, like uh, Trey Burke or an Alec Burks or some non-all-star player. Uh, So I think most definitely they should should want to continue growing that chemistry and leaning on it as much as possible. I think there are still some nuances to figure out and they'll aspire to do that over the course of the regular season. Teams in some cases, I think felt okay about the idea of switching it. Just one of the images that stuck with me from the Miami series is Gabe Vincent, you know, trying to scrap with Embiid at the nail, you know, as a result of switching on the Harden Embiid pick and roll. And on one hand, it's super counterintuitive, but on the other hand, I get it because James Harden, when a defense is scrambling, unsettled, when there's an open man to hit, he's going to hit that open man. So yeah. uh, figuring out just how to attack switches um, is, I think, something you know the Sixers will hope to do a little bit better over the course of next season. But by and large, uh, I thought it was super promising and uh, I'm yeah, looking forward to, to seeing what's next there. Yeah, and I think that brings up something how I how I'm viewing Harden this season, which is by the way, if I had a fantasy team, I'd lean at him. I kind of expect a bounce back here. I think people are a little down on him. Um look, he has he's not going like we said, he's just not going to be the Houston guy anymore. I'm not sure he's physically capable of, of being that guy anymore, but he doesn't have to be. Uh, my questions my my concerns with Harden are frankly not until you run into a Boston or Milwaukee kind of team that genuinely can switch and cause problems and is more disruptive, but there's how many of those teams in the NBA, right? Like you're talking deep in the playoffs by the time you're dealing with that. Before that, I think you're going to get a real bounce back year from Harden or, or, or what will be perceived at least as a bounce back year. I don't think it was as big a bounce as some will say, but I think you'll see his not only his numbers bounce a little bit, just his efficiency out there will bounce. Yeah, and I think perhaps it's a little overlooked still how efficient he can be without shooting the ball well because he still draws so, so many free throws. Yeah. Of course, the you know counter to that point is, well, he didn't get to the foul line at all when the Sixers really needed him to in an elimination game. And there were a few instances last season where you saw his frustration at not getting calls, I think, bleed into his effort level and focus. And, and the Sixers can't afford for that to happen again. But he's under a really intense microscope. And perhaps that leads people to kind of forget the big picture of how, how great this guy still is. Uh, so, yeah, I think I... Would not be surprised at all if uh, he improves in some important areas for the Sixers. And I think him being an extremely, extremely efficient offensive player just is still realistic to expect every year because he raises that three-point percentage a few points, continues getting to the foul line at an elite rate, makes the right decisions as a passer, and runs a brilliant pick-and-roll with Joel Embiid. This is someone who I think you can 
pencil in for 20 very efficient points and 10 assists per game. Uh, and as you say, the main tests that matter for the Sixers are uh, the elite teams in the playoffs. You talked about Tyrese Maxey a little bit earlier and, and him possibly making a leap. I, is that really, I don't know, is that really fair? I mean, he made such a leap last year. He made such a big leap in his second year. What, what can we reasonably expect? Obviously, this is a year second to third. Some players really do make a leap. But after such a big leap last year, what can we really expect from him this season? It's interesting with Maxey because I think we, we've gotten to a point where at least internally, the Sixers just, they don't count anything out. Like they, they truly think uh, <laughs> anything is possible for this kid. But absolutely, like after a season in which he, you know, shot 43% from three, you know, he's probably not going to shoot 50. Uh, but I do right. think there are a bunch of other areas that the Sixers have smartly targeted. And I would not be surprised at all to see him improve in. So I think one of those uh, is, is something I touched on with Harden, drawing free throws. You know, those yeah. guys uh, did some work together this offseason with, with Sam Cassell and Spencer Rivers, and Maxi was soaking all of that in and trying to pick up the tricks of the trade um, with, with how you can draw more foul shots. Um, if he improves in that area, like he, he's a much better player in my eyes. Uh, and I do think one reason to believe there is – He's gained some real muscle. He's gained, you know, at least five pounds of muscle, and uh, should be able to, I think, uh, work through contact better. Uh, and then, I think, just defensively uh, on the ball, the Sixers need him to be better uh, because, yes, they've picked up Anthony Melton, but Matisse Thybul is still a key perimeter defender on this team, and there are always questions about whether he's uh, playable in the postseason. So I think, therefore, Tyrese Maxey's defense, um, the Sixers expect he's capable of more. I know for myself, coming out of college, like I, I thought he was capable of more, uh, and I think he is going to take pride hang, heading into this season to show that he's a better defender than he's shown thus far um, and, and to make you know to make a leap there. Um, and then I think just playmaking and uh, working out of the pick and roll, he's just instinctively a low-risk guy, son of a coach, always wants to make the coach happy and not turn the ball over. That's great, but uh, really going all the way to the hoop more and uh, just making aggressive decisions as a driver and a passer, uh, I think the Sixers want that, and I think Maxi. Uh, is very much capable capable of that. Um, so yeah, I, I I think he will be better this season. I, I think he continues to uh, be on a positive trajectory and isn't totally dependent on the shooting still hovering around you know forty three percent or what have you. Um, but yeah, you, I spoke with Sam Cassell, who who works with uh, Maxi closely, and and Spencer Rivers, who's a, a Sixers skill development coach and one of Doc's kids, and they uh, they believe that there's a lot more in there, and I get it. He's, he's 21 years old. He's getting up at five or six a.m. in the summer. He's having to be you know forced to take a vacation. Uh, he just works so incredibly hard, so eager to learn and be better, and 
you know, 21 year olds tend to do that. They tend to keep improving. Yeah. And he's next to James Harden, who, um, who's probably his best quality is he makes everyone's life easier around him. And, you know, Maxie's numbers did uh, improve in a really big way after the Harden trade. Uh, and I think that backcourt, uh, the Sixers are, are understandably excited about uh, what they can do. Where does Tobias Harris fit into all this? It's always a, always a tough question with him. Um, I think he deserves to be praised for how he embraced a new role after the Harden trade. The first couple games, it was a tough adjustment, and he had to be coaxed into taking more catch-and-shoot threes. But he's one of the Sixers' more switchable defenders, which continues to be super valuable in lineups with Harden. And obviously has, as you've shown, the ability to score 20 points per game if needed. Um, But is he the most natural, most perfect fit next to Embiid, next to Harden? I don't think so. I don't think, you know, anyone who follows the NBA would be surprised if he goes elsewhere at the deadline and and Daryl Morey uh, at least tries to uh, pull off a move that uh, sends Tobias Harris elsewhere. But um, I think he has at least figured out where he fits, which is, which is good. Uh, He's embraced it in a way that some players might not have. Um, And I think the Sixers, as the roster is currently constructed, still do really count on his defense. Uh, You look at, you look at the wing and the team is arguably a a bit flimsy there, uh, depending on your level of confidence in Thibel. Uh, You've got, Furkan Korkmaz, who's most yeah. certainly a one-way offensive dominant player. Uh, you've got Daniel House Jr., uh, a nice pickup, but someone who was on 10-day contracts as recently as last season. And then you have Tobias Harris starting at the three if the, the Sixers uh, play a lineup with you know Tucker at the four and beat at the five. So I think Harris... Uh, can guard on the perimeter and interior in a way that makes this team a lot better. Uh, And he's, to his credit, showcased uh, both the willingness to do that and the ability to do it at a high level. Uh, was fantastic on Pascal Siakam in the Raptors series. Uh, So that's the key area of the floor for him in my eyes. Um, And then the other end of the ball, it's just... Uh, do the best you can to complement the ball-dominant players on the team, take advantage of the mismatches when you have them, uh, and just accept your role. And he he has done that uh, to this point. It's going to be an interesting season behind them with with guys like you mentioned, Korkmaz, and we've been talking a little bit about Matisse Thibel. I think Shake Milton falls into this group in that with House, with Tucker, with Melton coming in, it could be a changed role and just reduced minutes for those guys who'd been kind of bench roles, borderline starters. Some guys were getting kind of heavy playoff minutes um, that in an ideal world, frankly, they will not this time around. Agreed. I think there's a lot of internal competition ahead of us, both for just 
making the opening night roster and then also uh, making the rotation being a closer in, in some instances. Yeah. Uh, George Niang last year ended very disappointingly yeah. for him and he tried to be stoic about it, but he did have this left knee injury dating back to late in the regular season that hampered him and unfortunately led him to shoot much worse than is his norm. Before that, I think it was a great season for Niang. He looked like an outstanding pickup in that uh, his spacing next to star talent was really uh, valuable for the Sixers, put up a bunch of catch-and-shoot threes, made around 40% of them, chipped in in other ways, um, but clearly does not have a role locked down as things stand. And then you have this group of 25-year-old guys in Milton, Korkmaz, Thibel, who are entering a lot of uncertainty this year. Yeah, um, They've just struggled for consistency. They've all had bright moments, uh, but they need to show uh, that they're more than that. Um, and they've now got uh, some stiffer competition. Um, nothing, definitely nothing's going to be handed to those guys uh, when they're facing you know, Daniel House and P.J. Tucker and uh, these new additions in training camp. Uh, all of these very competitive personalities who have rather nice NBA track records. How much pressure is on Doc to make this all work this year? And and just in general, because, I mean, we kind of forget this is a guy with a ring, right? Like he is, he has been around the NBA forever. He does have a title with the, with the Celtics, but it's weird. We get to the playoffs. I think we talk, talk more about his teams that didn't make it than the ones that did. Yeah, I, I guess it depends on how you assess pressure or what perspective you're taking, but I think there's, regardless, a sizable level of pressure here, in large part because the Sixers see themselves as a team with championship potential. Joel Embiid is now 28 years old, James Harden is 33, yeah. and as I said earlier, who knows uh, what P.J. Tucker is going to be, how long he can be a good player on a contending team for. So big year for uh, the team and those eyes, and it's on him to lead this team well and to push the right buttons and to make uh, the right decisions. I was surprised uh, last playoffs how candid he was about feeling the Sixers had inferior depth to Miami. You know, even as late yeah. as the middle of that series, he acknowledged there weren't guys who had secured roles. Like he was still making gut feel night to night choices among the Milton, Quirkmaz, Thibel trio. Well, Daryl Morey has dealt him a better hand this time, and it's on him to uh, use it well. Um, I think there will be a lot of scrutiny on how he employs Montres Harrell, just given yeah. the way things ended uh, for Rivers in Los Angeles and uh, the very common criticism that he uh, gave Harrell too many minutes in the playoffs. Um, so I think that will be an area to watch. And I think overall, um, if he takes this team over the top, it's huge for his legacy. 
Uh, if he doesn't do it, even if there's injury misfortune and even if some of it falls on the players, he's going to get a lot of the blame for it. That's just how it works. Uh, and there's also just the reality that the Sixers ended last season kind of lifeless. Like they really no-showed in in games five and six. And some of that's on player leadership and guys just being professional and uh, showing up with the appropriate energy and intensity uh, of those occasions. But a coach is always going to take some of the blame for that stuff. Uh, So Doc Rivers um, now, now has to, lead a team that doesn't end the season that way. Uh, that's ultimately his responsibility. Yeah. I, and that's, I just I'm jumping ahead on something else I had here. I think having the way that last season ended and then the moves made by Daryl Morey this off season with Tucker, with house, with, with Melton, it almost rolls some pressure back a little bit onto rivers, but frankly more, I think onto. I mean, Harden had, was it two of 11 in that key game? And, and then, you know, Embiid wasn't, Again, battling through injuries, but there be, it feels like there's pressure on them now. Like, hey, we've given you the support players. You are the guys who have to step up. I think so. Um, yeah, I think obviously locally uh, there, there are many opinions on Embiid's postseason. I think just you can't ignore how – significant those injuries he played through were yeah uh and that doesn't mean everything he did on the court after returning was irrelevant but it was a big factor uh but yeah i think those guys just from a reputation standpoint this year is is massive for them uh james harden i i just keep going back to the last time he was in an nba finals uh, he was a six man um, without without much of a beard, and he <laughs> um, he wants to get back there. He wants to, um, I think, craft his legacy. And there's just there's just not much time left, uh, realistically, for him to be uh, an integral player on a championship team. Uh, and the Sixers, yes, there are there are other important pieces here, but. It's a James Harden and Joel Embiid team, uh, and there's a lot on those two guys' shoulders. So, so we can safely say that James Harden is not gonna not gonna go shaving his hair, uh, beard off, or head off in a, in a LeBron James fashion. Like the look will stay the same at least. I would I would not expect that. Yeah, he seems <laughs> comfortable as he is and uh, very at home in his uh, his own skin and his own beard. Yeah. Uh, the one guy we you mentioned briefly that we didn't talk about, I, I think you're right with Montrez Harrell. I, first off, just having seen him out here, you know, I'm out for people who don't know, I'm in Los Angeles. I, I saw him a lot with the Clippers uh, and with the Lakers, who kind of misused him. Uh, if you put him in pick and rolls with a second unit, you will love him. Like he has value. He can, if you use him properly. And I think for Philadelphia, we talked about trying to keep guys fresh for the, the postseason, and, you know, Joel Embiid and James Harden are not big on, on, uh, what do you call uh, on load management type stuff, but you can keep their minutes down in a Giannis in Milwaukee kind of way uh, with 
with Montrez out there just because he is truly an innings eater, right? Like he is a guy who should help them for the first 82, but you, if you're playing it much in the postseason, that's a problem. Yeah, I, I think Joel Embiid considers himself capable of eating many innings, but yeah, there's always some pushback about just his willingness to go out there when he's less than 100%. Even go back to the very first game in the very first quarter of, of last regular season, you know, he has a knee-to-knee collision with Jonas Valanciunas and plays through that and arguably should not have, should probably have gotten yeah. the night off there. So they, they are always pushing him to be as open and as cautious as possible. The Sixers had a player who filled a similar role well last season in Andre Drummond and then, of course, dealt him in the yeah. Harden deal. Uh, I think Paul Reed is a, a volatile figure in these parts. Uh, there are a lot of folks who are of the opinion that it took Doc Rivers too long to give him opportunities and to trust him. But to Rivers' credit, he did employ Reed as the primary and be backup last postseason. Uh, and I think there was a lot of promise there in that this is just a uniquely chaotic player, uh, someone who can play center in the NBA, but can also force a ton of steals, ton of blocks, do a bunch of damage in transition, and just play this quirky, high-energy style. So Paul Reed continues to be in this mix, but obviously it's now an open question of where exactly he falls because Montrez Harrell is great at what he does, um, yeah. and I expect... Doc Rivers will will have some uh, tough decisions here behind Embiid. There's also the question of where Charles Bassey falls. Uh, to me, yeah. he looks the part of an NBA player, and I, I'm really intrigued to see what he would do if he got like, extended opportunities. And this was a guy who's, uh, yes, it's the G League, but he's scoring like you know 40 a game and 20 rebounds. And, uh, and I think in the NBA, like, is a bona fide rim protector and rebounder, but who knows where, where he's in the mix now uh, because Montrez Harrell deservedly, um, you know, will, will be a, a key backup to Joel Embiid. Uh, just the question is, will he be the sole backup? What lineups will he play with? Yeah. Uh, and when and how will he be used in the postseason? That's probably the biggest question uh, that everyone's curious about. And we'll have to wait quite a few months to, to get answers. Yeah. Less B-ball Paul would just, it would simply be bad for all of us who are league pass fanatics, right? Like I just, mm-hmm. I just, it's just fun to watch, right? And I, that last, but I think that last the, game of the season, I think it was against the Pistons, well, was one of the more unexpectedly electric moments uh, in Philly yeah. last year. I think he had like 30 points and to his credit, a lot of that in um, his rookie year was exclusive to garbage time. And now we're seeing more and more of it in in real games, and uh, he is he is always always entertaining. There was also a fun game last year where he played extremely well, but uh, tried some sort of I don't know, like a Larry Nance ish, like kind yeah. of elegant reverse dunk, and just totally botched it. Um, so <laughs> you know, you never know what to expect with uh, with B Ball Paul. Um, but yeah, for now he's for now he's a Sixer and. Uh, we'll see what this year brings for him. 
all that depth, though, again, I it, it puts a little bit of a challenge for Doc, but you'd want that in the regular season, right? Like, it's just the more depth you can have, the more versatility you can have, but the, the ability to, again, just not have to lean as heavily and keep your stars fresh, it's, it's what – it's you're going to see, I think, more of it in Boston this year. It's certainly something Miami's done a little of with as much as they can with with uh, Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, last week, if you're a listener to this podcast, we talked um, about the Warriors uh, with Dustin Johnson, and like, yeah, look, they're going to lean on their kids to try to keep their core fresh for the playoffs. I, that's just part of it now, right? Like, you've just you've got to have the depth to get through the marathon 82, so you can be there for the sprint. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's ideal. Uh, I think we were talking earlier about the pressure on rivers. You know, one of the areas where there, there's going to be the most um, scrutiny of him is just his willingness to be unconventional and to experiment. Yeah. I, I think his first two years here, by and large, he's, in my opinion, coached well in the regular season, but one of the big weaknesses has been not exploring unusual options that much. You know, the first year here, you had Dave Yeager and the the Sixers assistants uh, pushing him to, to try out Ben Simmons at the five more. And they did that rarely during the regular season and then didn't feel equipped or prepared to do it much in the playoffs. And then last year you had, you know, one or two occasions where he tried um, tried different things behind Embiid. He tried, you know, front courts with Harris and Yang. Um, there were a couple of King Kong Godzilla lineups, perhaps right. advised with Andre Drummond and Embiid on the floor together. Uh, but for the most part, it, it just seems like Rivers' first instinct is to be conventional uh, and to not experiment a ton. Uh, and I think this year, like experimentation should probably be inevitable. Like there are good players on this team who will deserve to get chances to show what they can do in the regular season. Uh, and the Sixers will also need to discover both which of those players just are most worthy of minutes. And then also which lineups click, uh, which schemes work best and um, just do some trial and error so that when the playoffs roll around, uh, they can handle whatever's thrown at them, uh, and then also perhaps throw some other teams' curveballs as opposed to uh, being a little bit reactive, um, like Doc Rivers perhaps has been in, in years past. And they need that because I, I mean, ultimately, to sum this team up, it is truly a win now team, right? Like it doesn't get much more win now than the Sixers this year. They, they are they are all in for the ring. Yes, um, they did not make a pick in this draft because they uh, dealt D'Anthony Melton and number 23, or sorry, they uh, dealt Danny Green and number 23 to pick up Melton, and then uh, the Brooklyn Nets will be picking on the Sixers' uh, behalf next year. So, yeah, they they do have some young players, I will will say that. Tyrese Maxey is 21, Bassey's 21, um, Jaden Springer is a developmental guy uh, who is still 19 years old for, for a little Jeez, longer. Really, it's kind of yeah, that's yeah. right. He's really that super, young, super young. Um, but absolutely, if you look at the players who will actually be playing consequential minutes, uh, Tyrese Maxey is by far the youngest, and they will be leaning on 
a 37-year-old P.J. Tucker, a 33-year-old James Harden, and they are doing that because they believe a championship is possible. I think it is possible, which is which is why, Noah, we'd like to have you back later <laughs> later as we go through this season, and uh, it, it's going to be an interesting one in Philadelphia as they work out, like I said, which is just more, I think, frankly, more than the West. The top of the East has five teams who could legitimately be contenders. I mean, I I know not everybody puts Miami in there. I'm still willing to lift them there, and I'm willing to try. If if the 47 ifs in Brooklyn come together, <laughs> you've got a potential there. But, like, even if those teams fall off, that's still three, right? Like, that's still three really good teams in the East. Um, it's yeah. going to be a, it's going to be a wild, it's going to be a wild conference. It is. Yeah. And just obviously with that series against Miami last year, uh, you know, covered Jimmy Butler during his you know, 55 games in Philly, but obviously, uh, you know, playoff Jimmy is different than regular season yes. Jimmy. And you give him a team that's almost as good or about as good as the opposition in a seven game series. I think, you like Jimmy Butler's chances of willing his team to win in that series. So, uh, yeah, Miami should not be overlooked here uh, just because the Sixers have uh, plucked PJ Tucker. Yeah, and I, I, by the way, just as a broad stroke, I don't think Miami's done. I don't think what you're looking at now is not the final roster, and that might be true of some of the other teams uh, up at the top too. There's when you get in a deep conference like this, an arms race is not out of the question. So we will see. We will see what happens in a really interesting East this year. And Noah, I would love to have you back on during the season to talk about these Sixers and uh, how it's all coming together, or or hopefully hopefully coming together. If we're having you back on to talk about how not coming together, that'll be a different story. Sounds great. Yeah, no, I was just I was thinking as you were saying that uh, that would be the 2019-20 Sixers when there was a great deal <laughs> of hype around That's the right. supersized front court. Uh, the Sixers will not be rolling out that kind of lineup this year, but uh, look, there are indeed high expectations again, and I think for the most part they're justified, but as we discussed, there are ways that this could go wrong, and uh, the Sixers will hope those do not come to fruition. They will hope uh, this is the year that they finally crack that second-round barrier. I, I think it's, it's definitely possible, but it's a wild East. And By the way, I almost said... Well, that's all right. Nobody's rolling out that kind of supersized lineup anymore. And then Minnesota came over and slapped me in the face. So mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see what this season looks like. Thanks again for doing this, Noah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kurt. And we will be back uh, next week with more pro ba- or later this week with more pro basketball talk podcast. At Delta, we know Mike and HC prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing.